Hello there, and welcome to Gooner U. My name is Dove, and my friend Keith is usually here to bring me up to speed on everything I don't know about soccer and Arsenal. However, due to holiday travel schedules, instead, I have my friend Mike here. Hello, Mike. Hello. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. Uh, this week that we're going to be discussing featured an Arsenal Premier League match versus Brighton and Hove Albion. Uh, as Keith said, uh, one team, two names. So uh, before we talk about that match, I have a little bit of follow up from last episode. Um, one with a resolution that I can provide and one that's open that I would like to hear from perhaps you, if you know, Mike, or from any of the listeners, if they want to write in and give me an answer on this. But um, Keith and I had talked last episode. I had asked, he had mentioned while we were talking about World Cup that the broadcast feed carried all over the world from World Cup was provided by FIFA. So all of the stats that were shown on screen and most of what you were seeing was provided by FIFA. And then any local broadcaster could add on top of that if they wanted to. Or he mentioned that China would selectively edit the crowds. So it doesn't look like uh, COVID is way better in the rest of the world than they're handling in China. Um, but beyond that, um, it was pretty much a FIFA feed. And I asked it whether that was the case for Premier League. The short answer is I still don't know. Um, I tried finding an answer. Um, I didn't see anything after some Googling. So, uh, Mike, do you have any info on that? You know, I don't know the exact details. I'd assume there are some things in place that are shared between the broadcasters. For example, I would say uh, first thing that comes to mind is VAR analytics right. and, and uh, replays. I assume yes. that that is sort of carried um, homogeneously across broadcasters. And right, that has to be. We were talking about in the last match how when the ref was looking at the VAR screen, um, the, the feed was actually showing a split screen to us where we could see what he was seeing in full quality on the left side of the screen and watch him watching it on the right side of the screen. It was sure. perfectly in sync. So that's only possible if they're at least providing the VAR feed. That's That's right. Yeah, as far as everything else, I always assumed that it was just broadcaster to broadcaster. I've, you know, I've uh, watching a game on Sky Sports in the UK is very different, or seems very different than watching on NBC. Oh, okay, that's so. Yeah, that's good to know. Some there's some creative um, freedoms when it comes to okay. Things. That's good. Uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's helpful. Thanks. So uh, the other thing that we wanted to follow up on, and I, I did find some more here. Um, so I had asked the question, why does it look like these Arsenal players and players on other teams, other clubs, don't wear soccer socks. It looks like they have socks and then they have leg warmers on top of them. Now, I know you play soccer as well. Um, do you have any insights before I share what I found? All right. So for my own personal experience, and I think it, I think some other people do it this way is that, you know, when you wear a new boot or a cleat or maybe something that's not totally broken in and you just put on the traditional sock, it's a very thin layer. And so it rubs and you start to blister. So it's just sort of added protection as far as, you know, rubbing against the leather, you know, cutting yourself. I, that That's in the past. I've done that a lot. And I usually do it for that reason. Um, I'm also sure there's some people out there who are superstitious for whatever bizarre reason. Well, um, that's that's interesting. I hadn't considered those factors. Um, what what I found is the answer to why the professional soccer players do it is apparently it has to do with their feet sliding around inside the cleats. Mm. 
So what, yeah. So what they do is the reason they do it this way. So the, the club provides them with soccer socks, which matches my conception of a soccer sock that it goes from roughly around your knee to the tip of your toe (laughs) and everything in between. Right. So that's what the club provides them. However, they like wearing socks that have these grippy rubbery, like spots on the bottom and that way their feet don't slide around inside their cleats so they don't want to double sock they don't want to wear two layers over their feet so they cut off the bottoms of the socks and that's why you see the other sock underneath around their ankles Hmm. interesting and so yeah so then they've got different layers between the base sock that provides that anti-slip and then you have maybe some kind of tape that's kind of helping keep the over sock down around it you've got the shin guard that's also probably taped down underneath that outer sock (laughs) so yeah they have their ritual just to get even deeper into it i'm sure you've noticed a lot of players they cut little holes in the back of their socks like in the that was the area. next thing we were going to be talking about right go. yes Boom. well i know that answer okay because i've suffered from it many times ah. it's specifically for uh to avoid cramping because yes yes the sock is obviously very tight and um and yeah it just helps relieve some pressure and i actually have done that many times and unfortunately i am not a professional player for arsenal football club so i only <laughs> own a few pairs of socks so they're all pretty beaten up and torn up and they don't last very long when you do that. Yeah, I imagine, right. The, so the video, and I'll have some links in the show notes for this episode, but the the videos that I found talking, this, this one guy, I believe he was Danish, he went into a lot of detail about how he prepares his socks for this routine. And he was talking about it, you want to stay away from the, the very elasticated parts of a sock. You want to try and do whatever you can to prevent fraying. I don't think there's any way to cut calf holes probably without fraying so yeah i can't imagine they have a very long shelf life at that point the other technique which i've used before but i usually use it to the point where it's just a lost hope because uh i don't have all the tapes and all that kind of stuff but you know someone like smith Rowe wears his socks low well below mm-hmm. his knee that also can work but you have to obviously tape the shin guard pretty tightly and make sure it right keep, you know popping out right yeah. So yeah, it, it leads me to wonder, A, I mean, how much money does Arsenal have? Why can't they make soccer socks that have the grippy things on the bottom? Uh, that seems <laughs> that seems like That's even a great if, idea. Even if it makes idea. the socks cost like 30 bucks a pair. I mean, geez, how much <laughs> how, how much are they taking in on each of these games? It seems like something that that they can provide and if it means cutting calf holes or maybe not having them as tight, maybe making the socks available in different sizes so the players with bulky your calves can have the large size sock instead of the medium size sock or something. It just seems like you shouldn't be making the players resort to this or whoever does it on their behalf. Like it's, it shouldn't be something they have to think about. I, I would think, but <laughs> yeah, I saw, I saw, also saw an article recently from a female football player. I forget who it was. She mm-hmm. was talking about how there's actually no um, football boots. I'm sorry. I keep saying boots. They really That's okay. Boots, boots, <laughs> we're, we're talking but... about an English team. It's okay if you exactly. say boots. <laughs> <laughs> so they actually don't make female boots is what she said. So I, I, I have no knowledge about it. I've never bought female shoes for sports before, so I don't know. But, but she was saying that basically that there's, no, there's not actually a boot specifically molded to, feet for, uh, to fit for female feet. So I thought that was really interesting as well. 
That's interesting because so um, for my soccer collective, we don't really call it a league because it's really there, there are no permanent teams. It's just a group of guys yeah. that get guys yeah. and girls yeah, that guys. get together. Right. We just get together like roughly every week or so and, and make up teams on the day and figure it out. Um, but so we shifted things indoors during December and I, maybe even November, I don't remember. I think it may have been before, before Thanksgiving. I don't remember. But um, so I had a really fun time trying to find indoor soccer shoes. Um, it took a whole lot of effort, way more than would probably than anybody would listen to or want to listen to on this podcast. I believe it. I believe it. But I eventually did find something. One of the problems, though, there was one shoe that I really liked that was pretty much the indoor version of the cleats that I wear on on a, a regular pitch when I'm coaching and when I'm playing on the pitch when it's when it's uh, warmer out. Um, the problem was these are Adidas. It's not like they're some no-name brand. They're, they don't make them in a big enough size. The largest size they make them in was i think it was a maybe a 14 men's i don't even it may have even been like 13 or 13 and a half and i remember seeing those all were marked with men's slash women's sizes that's <laughs> why i'm bringing it up um so yeah i believe what you're saying that they i don't know that i don't know that women's shoes are necessarily molded differently i don't know that women's feet are different shapes but certainly they're different styles and i could see with the shoes that i was looking at you could get the more effeminate coloring or the more masculine coloring even though the sizes were you know just one size is marked two ways so so yeah, yeah i don't I mean, know my, my issue has always been I've, I've always noticed i've actually never owned a outdoor boot or an indoor sneaker for specifically for football where it's actually fit well mm -hmm. yeah, i've always found that they're always very narrow and too long they are very because, narrow yeah so every shoe i've always owned has never fit me properly and it's actually why just personally i've never been able to have a, a hard sort of straightforward shot with my knee over the ah. over the ball like it's because it's very difficult my toe drags and it, i always end up injuring myself so oh no if i if we ever play you'll see i never shoot the ball <laughs> like that ever because i can't i've just never been able to find shoes oh, man. actually yeah that just take away those couple inches of space that would interesting probably make me play it much better yeah. Oh, interesting. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, definitely there, there are a bunch of styles. If you ever want to try again, I can send you some links to Amazon and Zappos where I tried many, many, many varieties of styles. And uh, it, it was actually fun for a couple that were candidates toward the end. I actually brought my soccer ball inside and I was just kind of dribbling it around and repeatedly passing it into the backside of our front door as a surface that seemed to be able to stand up to it without there being much in the proximity that, that I was risking just, destroying. I'm guessing you weren't just beaming it into the door every time right and not yeah not full force but hard enough hard enough that i could tell how much control i had so yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was really funny my son was on his ipad with headphones on and seemingly oblivious i kept on waiting for him to ask me what the heck i was doing and <laughs> he never did i'm also glad because he'd want to know why i can do that and why he never could <laughs> but <laughs> But we do actually, yeah, he and I do actually play a little bit of indoor soccer. He, he has a playroom and we have a little size one soccer ball that we've 
brought out again recently. We did it a couple of years ago. We hadn't done it recently. And then we started doing it just now where uh, he, he wants to be a keeper like his daddy. And so we have uh, a little target behind him that I try shooting into and he tries blocking it. So very nice. <laughs> it's no, very, very rough on him because it's very close quarters. So <laughs> it's, hey, I, I have the advantage. That's how you learn. You yep. know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta get the, uh, what's the term? You gotta, you gotta get uh, broken down and built back up, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm for it. Yeah. I'm all for it. So it's time to move on to our discussion of the Brighton match. This was their 16th uh, Premier League match this season. This took place on New Year's Eve, December 31st, 2022. The final score was 2-4 Brighton Arsenal. And uh, wow, (laughs) that score was not as comfortable as it seemed like it should have been for a lot of that match. (laughs) Oh, no, I I would would say it really should have been 4-3. There was a, I mean, we'll get into it, but yeah, right. That, that one, uh, yeah, the one offsides call toward the end. Uh, yeah. You know, like at that point, you know, I'd be, excuse me, I'd be wearing my, uh, overly long boots and probably be offside when my actual toe was moving <laughs> there. The actual shoe itself. Yeah. You need to so, appeal to the ref. That's not your toe. It's your shoe. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I, I feel for them. I feel for them on that one. So, so to begin with, um, we've talked about uh, Brighton and Hove Albion. Do you know where that name came from? Um, I didn't look it up yet, but do you know why it's one team, two names? I really don't know. You know, the city itself is just uh, Brighton. Right, you know? right. So Hove Albion, I, I don't know. I, uh, okay, that's one we'll have to... a long way back. Uh, in the meantime, I'll, I'll look it up. Yeah, well, yeah, so... Um, my first note was about that first goal. It was at what? It was like 66 seconds in, I think they said that Saka made where I just couldn't believe when the ball landed in his lap and he was able to being the pro that he is just take his time and just, just knock it in very gently into exactly the right spot. I think, uh, less experienced player might have rushed it a little bit and could have potentially not capitalized on that opportunity, but that was just surprising and delightful and beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it was, he was, um, so cool and calm and collected when he hit that. Yeah. I feel like it's one of those things where sometimes a game hap- uh, is going on so fast around you that when the ball comes up, you don't even have time to think. So it's just naturally, you know, just act naturally how you think is best. And I think that's sort of credit to Sokka, right? Yeah, absolutely. um, If this was Sokka maybe two years ago, let's say, or just coming straight from the youth team, who knows if he's able to just settle it and pass it into net like that. You know, it takes a lot of of reps to, to be that calm on the ball like that so instantly. Yeah, no, definitely. And I I definitely saw occurrences of that uh, in the World Cup where you'd see someone just choke on what looked from from home like an easy opportunity where they just rushed it and felt like they had to get it in right away and didn't do the right thing. So, yeah, I mean, a lot lot of credit. I I can't think of like, uh, you know, obviously Saka's not really a striker, but, you know, I, I don't recall really ever seeing a top striker, a top goal scorer you know, really, you know, sitting and thinking about what to do next, right? It's, it's really has to be uh, a lot of, uh, memory muscle, uh, oh, yeah. muscle memory rather. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was really good. And honestly, the whole build up to the goal was really great too. I thought even Martinelli cutting in and shooting like that, 
Um, it was great to do it so early on. That right. right back Lamptey was he's really good. He's really athletic. Yeah, he he really had Martinelli's number. Like he was speedy and was right on him all throughout the match until he got subbed out. Um that was that was a really good performance from him. It was very good, but I thought I, I was just very positive because on the outset, obviously we all know Martinelli wants to cut in and shoot on his right foot. Yeah. But you know, let's say Martinelli doesn't get to that position twenty minutes into the game. Well, he gets that ball twenty minutes in the game, and Lampy's like, "Okay, yeah, we will. I know where you're going to go." But all of a sudden, you do it two, three times in the first ten minutes. All of a sudden, the next time you get the ball, all of a sudden the guy's going, "Well, uh, sorry, I almost swore there." <laughs> the, the, guy, the guy's going, "Well, well, obviously, I know he'd rather cut in, but he's done that a bunch already, so maybe he's going left." And it just it just creates a guessing game, which is you know beneficial for us. And I so I just love the intensity that we started at and I love the movement of even if you know the shot didn't come off we got lucky that it bounced the soccer that way but I thought it was just such a great start it was it was yeah awesome. absolutely um while that was going down I noticed the the net color and how it had the blue and white stripes that match Brighton's jerseys have you noticed any other goals in the Premier League or elsewhere where they actually have some kind of team markings on the on the goal or on the net like that? I've seen it before in past years. I can't think of anything off the top of my head mm-hmm. currently in the Premiership, but yeah, yeah, I've definitely That's seen interesting. different colorways. Yeah, and it's it's innocuous. It's not like it's you know it's in your face and on a front, <laughs> but yeah, it was uh, something I noticed. But um, the the next goal though was Odegaard, and I was amazed by how far back he shot that from. It went over all those heads <laughs> to, to land. I was and and the again just kind of like the presence of mind how the ball was bouncing toward him when he shot it. And he actually kicked it down. It was a couple inches off the ground, and he kicked it down, and it bounced down off the ground before going over everybody else and then making it in. That was that was astounding. This is why you got to listen to your coaches, kids. <laughs> yeah, right. up. If you hit the ball like that, you got to get the knee over the ball. And like in a moment like that, it's coming right at you. You just want to smack it at the goal the best thing you can do is just have good technique. And even though I've watched that goal now like 20 times, and I still don't really understand how it bounced in that way. <laughs> it, it's still just like, I, it's again, it's this guy, Odegaard, he's showing how much class yeah. he has, you know, the best thing you could do is just make sure that's technically good and good things will happen. And also shout out to Zinchenko as well, by the way. Oh yeah. Great performance. Yeah. He, he also though, for that goal, he sort of, he was coming in for a shot with his right foot. And I don't know if it was a thing of where he was like, "Oh, I see, I see Martin over there. And I really don't want to. I don't really don't want to hit this with my right foot, and smash it over the bar." So, but you know, it could have definitely been one of those things where they both tried swinging for it at the same time. So, shout out right. to Zinni for stepping back on that one. Yeah, interesting. Okay, I did not. I did not catch that. So, uh, thanks for pointing that out. Um, but so let me let me just ask you, because I am a coach, but I'm currently coaching six and under. Um, so technique hasn't really come into play yet. <laughs> when you talk about getting your knee over the ball, uh, on which axis are you talking about? So can you describe that a little more? So I'm talking on uh, what's the, the vertical one? Was that the, the y I guess axis? 
I guess, yeah, I, th- I think if we're looking down at the ball, I'd consider that the Y axis. Yeah. Vertically, yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, when the ball comes to you, right? Like um, if you're leaning back, forget the knee, but if you're leaning back naturally, when you hit the ball, it's going to go high. Oh, right. okay. So you're talking about the Z axis. Like you're talking about like hovering over the ball, looking down on it is where you want your knee. Yeah. So if I'm, if I'm, okay. if I'm standing straight and the ball comes towards me, and I, I lean backwards, yeah, I'm going to sky that thing. Yeah. So if you lean forward, and that's why I always say your knee should be over the ball. Gotcha. Um, the chances of that, you know, going, you know, 30 feet, 30,000 feet in the air, it lowers significantly. Hmm. And, um, you know, and the farther out you are, you know, obviously the ball's going to rise. So, right. Yeah. So that's when those little things come into, come into play. And, you know, it's really important. I mean, I look again, I'm not a professional player or anything like that, but I played a lot of football and I've mm-hmm. known I can, I can visualize hundreds of times where the ball came at me and I was like, Oh, I'm going to go for the screamer top bids, all this stuff. <laughs> and then I lean back and I just sort of, you know, like goes thousand meters away from me. Right. <laughs> you know, some, some ridiculous like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, it's just, it's just great technique. That's why I love Odegaard, too. You look at Odegaard, look at the way he passes, look at the way he moves when he receives the ball, the way he turns. It's all just, like, very simple, basic stuff, and he makes it look really easy. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I really love that about him. Yeah. So next I have down um, Gabrielle's yellow card. I don't – do you know what happened there? I could not tell what actually led to him getting a yellow card. What was it for again? I'm forgetting that one. I don't even remember. Like it wasn't clear. I really, I would have noted it. I really don't remember what happened there. Was it for like it was a shirt pull or a tackle or something? I'm like, I'm, I, I'm like vaguely. Like, yeah, I don't think they even showed a replay. It. it leads me to believe he was like mouthing off to the referee or something. I, I don't even know. So it's ridiculous because one... there was another yellow card on Saka as well, which was insane. Well, that was, that was, so I, between, (laughs) yeah, so a a couple notes down, right. The yellow card started flying like crazy in this game. He ended up issuing four or five and a lot of them were in rapid succession. I think toward the end of the first half um, or maybe beginning of the second half, it was just, yeah, there was like three or four yellow cards within three or four minutes. It was (laughs) at a fast clip. It reminded me of the first U.S. game of the World Cup where there were like nine if I recall right, there were like nine yellow cards or something, or he just went crazy. And so all these players were in fear of getting ejected after, you know, like their second match. I mean, the, the Saka yellow, I really remember well, though, because the Brighton player had the ball. It was sort of like this, like 50-50 kind of challenge. He got hmm. the ball. He's running. He's on the break, which I understand. You're on the break and you get tackled from behind. You know, generally, it should be a yellow card. It's up for debate that it's a yellow card. Usually I'm not angry about it. But if you look, the guy gets the ball. He starts running. He knows that Sokka's behind him. So what does he do? He doesn't let Sokka come to the side of him. He, he cuts in so that he's behind him. And then he sort of purposely lets, you know, as he slows down or whatever, he just purposely knows that Sokka's going to, like, make a little contact with him and he gets a foul, which is fine. That's, like, totally normal. And it's actually very mm-hmm. smart that he, did it, that he did it. But at the same time, it's not like the guy was – three on one or something, you know, it was, it was in the middle of the pitch. Saka barely made any fouls, if any at all. And all of a sudden just straight yellow card. And Mm -hmm. I believe that 
if he gets a yellow card in the next two games, he gets suspended for five yellow cards total in the first. Like, yeah, I, I, I think they said he's on four yellows. Yeah. Yeah, which is also ridiculous. I saw a stat that said Saka's gotten four yellow cards so far this season. Uh, there's only been one yellow card issued on a foul on Saka to another player all season. Right. And I could tell you, and I know you could tell me, and I know every Arsenal fan listening to this who watches the games knows for a fact that that is utter you-know-what because yep. Saka's been beating the crap out of every game. Yep. And it's it's just, like, shocking to me. I was, I was really shocked by that yellow card. Well, yeah, and, and if you recall, one of those yellows against him was the diving call from a couple matches ago. <laughs> yeah, I remember that, too. Oh, my God. I, I just don't understand. And, you know, I guess it comes with the territory, maybe. I don't even know. I don't even, I can't even. No, you know, I I think it just comes down to certain players are just viewed certain ways by the roughing staff. I mean, if you look at like Xhaka, right? Xhaka and Saka are kind of like on opposite sides where like Xhaka gets the opposite of the benefit of a doubt. Like he gets the presumption of guilt, right? Like if anything goes down, he's going to get a card. And it's when, when there's the potential of a foul against Saka, it's like, no, um, I'm not going to call it. That's just what it seems like to me. Look, I mean, Saka, you know, he also gets away with some, some things, which I wouldn't even say maybe getting away, but I don't know if you remember the West Ham game before that in the lead up to the Martinelli goal, he sort of, he sort of, there was a 50-50 ball in the air with Declan Rice. And he sort of, he didn't push him. He didn't use his arms, but he sort of used his shoulder. But it wasn't shoulder to shoulder. It was shoulder, soccer shoulder at the Declan Rice's chest mm-hmm. to get him off the ball. Now, I could see a lot of referees giving that as a foul. Now, mm-hmm. it really shouldn't be a foul because, you know, this is a man's game. It's a physical sport, and you got to let the guys play. It's the highest level. But it just sort of, you know, it just, it's like, the threshold from a foul to a yellow card, it's just all over the place right now. And the refereeing, especially for Arsenal, has just been it's been very, very not good. It's just keep yeah. Well, yeah, head. so the next goal was Enkedia scoring in two consecutive matches now. Uh the Fox really, in the box. Yeah, he's he's having a great run. Um, my my question on that one was, and this may be something that we covered before, and it hasn't sunk in yet. But so Martinelli shot, bounced off the keeper, and then Enkedia shot it in after that and made the goal. Does Martinelli get an assist on that? Uh, I don't think he does. Okay, maybe he does actually. I don't know. That's actually a great question. I can look this up also very quickly. Um, sure. <laughs> I I'm actually interested, but you know another thing about that goal. If you notice, right? I was what was I saying before about how Martinelli in the beginning had those chances to cut into the right uh, to shoot mm-hmm. three times early in, the, in that game. What happened with that Eddie goal is that he took it on his left, mm. and and um, and because of that, you know, again, it opens up space. And it changes things a little bit. The goalkeeper, you know, couldn't really make a proper save. You know, it just keeps people guessing. And I think that's what you need when you have a guy like Enketia, who's not going to, like, create goals by himself, generally. You know, he's going right. to latch on to things. Again, it's just like, yes, nice goal by Eddie, exactly what his job is. At the same time, like, I have to give credit to, like, people like Martinelli as well, because... Sure. These are the guys who are really driving the ball forward and getting it into that six-yard box. 
and yeah. just again like really impressive um i should tell you that uh they did not give martinelli an assist for that goal okay Okay, noted. I will do my best to remember the next time a similar situation arises. So, so that Enkedia goal brought the score to 3-0. And I'm thinking, okay, that's it. Let's just uh, pop the popcorn and watch them close this out when all of a sudden <laughs> Brighton begins making their comeback. They, nice goal, too. Yeah, they they had a nice shot and they got it in. But then we have a breakaway goal by Martinelli to restore their three-point lead, followed by Brighton getting a second goal, closing it down to two again, following which we have what you were talking about before with that trailing foot offsides call where had that call not been made, they would have closed it down to a one-point lead, and they were in danger of causing of actually bringing it all the way back to a draw, which was absolutely nuts. So, so you wanted to talk about that offsides call? It sounds like. Yeah. Well, before that, I should say this for Martinelli's goal for the fourth yeah. goal. That pass from Odegaard was just. Oh yeah, it was just uh, right there. No, it was beautiful. It was yeah. sexy. It was so good. Yeah, no, it's exactly it where it needed to be. Yeah. Um, and then the fact that Martinelli didn't square at the Saka for an open tap-in. Yeah. You know, <laughs> there's a part of me that sort of hates that because <laughs> I don't think there's anything better than just having like, you know, a succession of three, four passes that ends up and just walking the ball into the net like that's a real arsenal goal in my opinion mm-hmm. but someone said this on twitter was that this is like uh this is like you see this kind of thing at like psg with neymar and messi right where they're both superstars they both want to score a lot and you give these guys the opportunity all right maybe not messi because messi's just on a <laughs> completely different level but like someone like neymar and mbappe you're gonna take it for themselves and what mm-hmm. is that? That's that's full confidence. That's a player having full confidence in himself. And it's also a good competition. It's a healthy competition, you know? Yeah. All these guys, yeah. they want to score as much as they want. You know, I'm sure Saka would want to love another goal, right? Unless you can post on his Instagram, I hit your goal, maybe. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm sure Martinelli also wanted to come out. You saw Martinelli was hungry that game. Oh, yeah. He shot the ball so many times, like a ridiculous amount. Mm-hmm. Like if, we, if, we, if we didn't get anything out that game, I would have been actually really annoyed at him. Oh, yeah. Because... But at the same time, it's it's good. I think it's super healthy, and I I, I love that goal for so many well, reasons. Well, l- let me past. let me ask you about that though. So on the one hand, I can see where yeah, you would expect that. That's kind of what you'd expect him to do, just from Arsenal's perspective. And it's also kind of a little bit of a safer thing to do, passing it across the field to get it knocked in from the other side. Is there maybe something to be said for the element of surprise with him just directly knocking it in? Yeah, I think totally. And I think that's what Martinelli brings over any other player on the team. It's just so explosive, and you just never really know what he's going to do. Even when he looks like he's about to do something, you're like, oh, well, yeah, he's going to cut in and shoot. At the same right. time, it's he's so fast, and it's like it's so quick, and it's so energetic. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that goalkeeper, who I don't really rate, to be honest, I don't think he's that great of a keeper. But... Um, yeah, I just say it just looked like he thought he was going to pass it. He didn't know what he was going to do. And it's just like, you know, like Martinelli, it's like one, you blank and all of a sudden, you know, the ball's on the other side of the pitch or it's in the goal or something. Right. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was brilliant. I, every ball we scored was had so many cool things about it, whether it was a pass or the positioning or this or that. That one was uh, that one was special though. That one was like nice to just cherry on the top, just get our three points and go home. Because if we had not scored that, and uh, you know Brighton then three two, and there's ten minutes left, few minutes left, whatever. I don't know. I don't know if we make it out with three points. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But so the offside, uh, the offside though, yeah. Hard yeah. Done. Hard done. Look, if it was us. We'd be furious. Yeah, but is it wrong? <laughs> That's the question. Like it's you, like you groan, but it is it is actually offsides according to the rules, though, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, it's um, it is it is what it is. This is what VAR is for. My problem yeah. with it, though, is that VAR is so inconsistent, and it's inconsistent in the way that it's used rather than when it's used. Mm -hmm. um it's it's just that sometimes referees decide to use it sometimes they don't obviously this was a goal so they have to you know they have to take right. a look right but it's like you know you have certain decisions that are maybe not a you know not a penalty when it's a clear penalty or not a foul or this and that and they go oh yeah we don't need bar i saw it this and that this goal for decades and decades prior to the last couple seasons, it would have been considered a one of the better goals of the week, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. So, and it's just a clear goal. And like, you know, I mean, and it comes back to the whole discussion with the, with the, uh, with the shoes, right? Like you look at where his foot is. I mean, I don't even know if that's his actual foot. It's just like the back of the boot. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, it's tough. It's tough. I, I, I feel, I felt really bad for him to be honest, because I, Brighton's a great, really good team. And they, yeah. they, their goals are really nice. And well, yeah, and I don't. Them, so it's tough. I don't remember. It began with an O. I think. What was the name of the player who had offsides called on him? Uh, I forgot his name. But um, yeah, he he scored their first good. goal, and he had a really good performance. He was he was a good player. Yeah. He was very good. Yeah, I think yeah. he scored again um, uh, after in a different game. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, but um, yeah, we were lucky. You know, but we yeah, luck. we. Oh we my luck. god, that that game from being like three nil to come so close to losing it. I mean, it was, or at least losing the lead. It was a nail biting at the end. It was just crazy how how out of hand it got. It was it was crazy. I, I think the day before, I was looking at the weather, and it said it was going to be raining and very very windy. And actually, a lot of the games before that, all around the UK, the weather was pretty crap. Right. It looked so like I it was, was pretty was, rainy there, yeah. Yeah. I was particularly nervous about it because Brighton in general, you know, it's by the sea. Mm -hmm. It's always windy. Always, always windy. And with the with the rain, all of a sudden, you know, it's tough. It's tough to pass the ball on the ground. I mean, the game ended, I think, like Brighton had like over three hundred fifty passes. We had like hundred fifty passes. Hmm. And okay, it didn't end up raining, but you play a team who play who trains in that every day. It's and and not only that, they're a really good team. It's always really hard going to Brighton. So I was really nervous going into it. So the fact that not only did we barely have the possession we usually want to have, and considering the weather wasn't the best weather, wasn't a sunny afternoon day by the beach. Right. Um, yeah, I think I think like everyone should be like very proud after that. Yeah. 
That's interesting. Right. I didn't see that stat about the passes. That that's interesting, and I I wasn't even thinking about how the wind and rain would affect them uh, playing like that. I can see what you're saying now. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I look that that game might have been very different if it was just raining all game, like you know, like uh, thunderstorm conditions. You know, <laughs> right? Who knows what happens. Right. Interesting. Yeah. All right, any uh, closing thoughts? Well, we are the greatest team the world has ever seen. We'll say that. <laughs> um, on the match, I mean, look, um, after the World Cup break, who the hell knew how we were going to play? West Ham game, we were fantastic. This game, Brighton away, which, you know, you look at our fixtures, Newcastle home, Tottenham away, United at home, City away. Like, you know, you look at those and you go, wow, those are really, really tough matches. Obviously, they are. But then there are these games right in the way, which are very, very difficult. And those are the games that you watch. And those are the games that I watch, you know, Chelsea play or United playing or whoever, where I'm going, oh, this is a great opportunity for Brighton to pick some points off them. And right. so the fact we got out of that, I wouldn't say unscathed because obviously we let in two goals. Probably we should have let, let in three. Um, it's not like the greatest thing because, because also, um, I should say as well, you know, Saliba as well looked a little shaky at times. He fell asleep a couple moments in the second half. Hmm. Um, you know, so it's like a mixture that the fact that we're some of the players are taking a rust off, tough place to go away to, this and that. You know, it's a great result. I was super happy and it was amazing. Before New Year's Eve, I had great news because of it. I was in a great mood all day for the, oh, rest, yeah. of the, for the rest of the week or a few days yeah. before the next one. So, yeah, um, 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 I was buzzing. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's definitely been a pleasure watching them. So uh, we usually do a couple small questions that I'm just kind of uh, trying to fill knowledge gaps before we close out each episode. Sure. One that I think you might uh be particularly well suited to answering is an equipment question and being a, a player a more serious player than myself um you you might have some idea on this so i've noticed so before i started watching their current season keith had recommended to me the all or nothing arsenal documentary on amazon prime so I watched that before the season and I think I started watching it before the season. Then I started watching matches interspersed with catching up on the rest of a documentary just to kind of ground myself in the team a little bit. And I believe I started noticing it in the all or nothing documentary and I've noticed glimpses of it once or twice, just watching them play toward the end of a match, if they're taking off their jerseys or something, but it looks like there are, professional soccer players across the world wearing bras. <laughs> I've, I've never seen this in any other male adult professional sport. And I don't know what about soccer might lend itself to it. And it may just be because I'm paying more attention now than I ever have to other sports or maybe a more recent trend from, you know, since I was paying attention more to other professional sports, what is going on? Is it just what it looks like? Is it just support for the pecs? No, I, I don't, no, I didn't no, think no. pecs need support. <laughs> like, what is it? Well, I don't know. Speak for yourself. I'll tell you when I run, <laughs> I got a nice pair on me. So there's a lot, there's a lot of weight, a lot of, you know, a lot of physics going on, but no, actually. So those things, I remember when they started using them a few years back, they're pretty rare, but now everybody uses them. Um, they're actually, they actually track, um, data for each player. Oh, 
you know, how fat, like it's like obviously very complex data. So all that stuff now they wear during the games, during training, because, you know, a lot of these teams, especially the top ones, um, they have uh, stat, uh, statisticians. Statisticians? Am I even saying that right? Yeah, statisticians, statisticians. yeah. Statisticians. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, who analyze all the data. Um, okay. Actually, Arsenal, um, they bought, this was probably, this must have been like 2016, 17. Um, they, I don't know if they bought it, but they paid a lot of money, millions, um, to have this American company um, specialize in data collection for them, for their mm. own players, for other players. And it's a huge thing, you know? I mean, I think, especially now, that I think a lot of people don't seem to understand is that the level of football of, from individuals, it's phrased a lot. Sure. There are a lot more top players today than there were 10 years ago. Years prior to that, so now when you buy players, you know you have to look. You have to say, okay, well, look. Uh, I mean, you know, there are hundreds of guys professionally who can, you know, kick a ball to the top corner and score a beautiful goal or make a nice pass. But then there are these more, sometimes more important parts of the games of, well, can this guy run the way I need him to run to press and win the ball back? Can he cover right. the amount of ground that I need him to cover? You know, and that's when it really starts. This is why I think Arteta, Pep, and these kind of guys, they're taking football. They, or I should say Pep took football to a much higher level because he wasn't looking at it like, well, I got 11 great players. He was looking at it, it was like, well, I need 11 players to make a team to play in a very specific way because there's 90 minutes in a game. And, you know, there's going to be 10 minutes here and 20 minutes here and another 15 minutes here where the game, the dynamics of each game changes. So you need players to do certain things or to work cohesively together. Right. Um, actually, great book. Highly recommend. Um, it is called Pep Confidential. Okay. It's about Pep Guardiola at Bayern Munich. Ah. And it actually gets into a lot of the detail of how he um, basically enhanced all the training and all that kind of stuff for Bayern Munich. And he gets huh. into it with the drones and the tracking and this and that. It's actually, it's very interesting stuff. Huh. Hey, yeah, if you want to send me a link, I'll include that in the show notes. Uh, that's oh, that's good info. So yeah, I'm glad I asked about the bras because I would not have thought that they were sophisticated monitoring equipment. That's, I that's sort of hate know. it though. I'm not going to lie. I hate it. <laughs> like I hate the fact that like players take off their shirt, celebrate a goal and then they're wearing bunch of like tight bras and stuff it's just like a weird thing that's well, not the only at. thing because i've also noticed uh, specifically recently with ramsdale um they, they're all wearing like under armor stuff like that type of thing like base layers underneath their jerseys anyway so i guess it's just another <laughs> base layer <laughs> yeah i mean i you know i, I don't know how warm that keeps them <laughs> but yeah but look Chafing is or probably cool, also or a big cool. thing, you know? <laughs> so. Yeah, but yeah, chafing, and I think it's not even just keeping warm. I mean, you're playing Qatar, you need help getting that body heat out sometimes, too, so. Yeah, um, but yeah, no, it's actually a great question, because I can totally sympathize with someone just watching football for the first time, being like, why are all these guys wearing <laughs> sort of on? And now, you know, whenever I see it, I'm going to think of Ivan Drago and Rocky Four, and just think go. about all the people that's in a, the it, data lab. <laughs> hey, that's literally 100 percent what it is. And then you know, right. you've got the other uh, 
scientists giving him all the steroids and all that kind of stuff, which <laughs> right. we don't have to get into now, but I have my conspiracy <laughs> theories, believe me. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, my buddy actually sent me, I won't get into it, but he sent me a really interesting long-form article um, about Liverpool and how hmm. to use this uh, one nutritionist who was sort of infamous in steroid hmm. use in the cycling world. Oh, and, uh, okay. And there's actually sort of uh, a correlation um, timing-wise where you can see where it has it, where it peaks and where it starts to drop off. And it's very interesting stuff, but hmm. it's, it's definitely uh, sort of conspiracy-ish. So <laughs> uh, I need to find that somewhere, try to send it, out, send it over to you. All right. Well, just because uh, you believe it's a conspiracy doesn't mean they aren't actually out to get you. So, yeah. <laughs> so uh, coming up next week, uh, today, actually, Arsenal already played Newcastle United at home. That was on the USA Network. And longtime listeners will know I don't have a cable subscription. I watch on Peacock, which means I can't watch that match until tomorrow. The outcome was already, unfortunately, inadvertently revealed to me, but I will, st- will still watch and will not share the outcome with anyone listening to this right now. Although you will probably, if you're planning on watching it, you will have watched it by the time this actually gets edited and released, unless you are a Gooner U super fan, which I will discuss in a bit. Um, and then we will play Oxford United on January 9th at the Kassam Stadium. So that is an away match for versus Oxford United. So thanks for joining us at Gooner U. We are on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and some other places, and we appreciate you subscribing to our show and sharing it with friends. If you want to listen the night we record, you can become a Gooner U superfan on Apple Podcasts to download a raw, unedited recording right away. Again, my name is Dove, and you can find me on Twitter at Dove Frankel. Typically, my friend Keith is with me, and you can still find him in a pub watching Arsenal matches. And today, I was joined by Mike, and you can find him banging his head against the wall because of problems I created for him at work. See you later, Mike. (laughs) Thanks for having me on. It's not just you. It's mostly Arsenal, so please. Just par for the course. Have a good one. (laughs) Thanks so much.